Well, good morning, church. If you are here in person or watching online, we invite you to uh, open up your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 1. We are going to kick off a new series this morning. I do so with fear and trepidation. Uh, you know, Revelation is difficult. I've been in uh, preaching ministry for over 20 years. I've never preached through Revelation. Um, and, and part of that is because it is a difficult book. And uh, here at our church, um, our doctrinal statement um, is, it, we have, I'd have to look at it. You can double check me on this. I don't think I'm exaggerating, though. Our doctrinal statement explaining our view on Revelation uses more words than our explanation of the doctrine of God. Um, we're, we're very specific, and so I don't want to preach anything outside of our, I never would, preach anything, I hope, outside of our doctrinal statement, uh, but it doesn't leave much uh, room for a pastor to be very creative um, and, you know, talk about some of the controversies in Revelation. So what we're going to do is this. Uh, we're going to go through uh, the first uh, three or four chapters through the, the churches of Revelation, uh, first three chapters, and then we're going to look at the rest of the Revelation topically. Uh, and I want to do that because I think that uh, those of you who know me, we've, I've said this before, uh, I'm not going to give you a chart, okay? I know you want your Revelation chart to fill in, and, I, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it this time either. And, and the reason for that is when we have a chart, we start reading through Revelation and Daniel and other passages, and we start putting our scripture on the chart. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. Every chart has a few verses at the end of this process where they go, I don't know what to do with these. And so I'm going to stick them here. And then somebody who disagrees with that chart goes, well, what are the, well, those verses don't fit there. And then they go, well, what about those verses on your chart? And I'm telling you, whatever chart we have, historically just doesn't always match God's chart. So let's understand what it's trying to teach us. And so here's my challenge for you this morning. I've never started a sermon this way. If you have your notes, I want you to flip to the back of the notes. We're going to start with the application. Okay, we're going to launch with the application here. Here's what I want you to get, not just from this morning, but from our series in Revelation. Here's what I want you to do. Now, some of you, and here's why I, some of you are going, I don't know what he's talking about already. Look, Revelation is tough, and some of you know nothing. And some people in this church, you know a little too much. And I have to balance that. Because some of you are going, if he's not giving me a chart, I'm going to get one out. I've got three of them, right? So, and I've, I've been in Bible studies with some of you, and you're whipping off your Revelation series, and I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Like, you didn't go to seminary. That's, that's amazing. I don't think I agree with you, but that's amazing. And so here's, here's my hope. That as we go through this series, you would allow God's word to speak to your heart. Not just to remind you of what you already know. So if you're going through this, and you, you have your revelation chart in mind, you've got your ideas already, then my challenge for you is just let the word of God speak to your heart. Second, allow God's word to challenge your view of the world that you live in. You see, if we approach Revelation with just, this is all something that's going to happen in the future, we can read this and think it doesn't apply to us. But I'm telling you, every generation, since Christ 
has resurrected has thought they're living in the end times. And so it has something to say to us in our culture, in in our place. And third, I would like you to allow God's word to encourage you in the midst of whatever evil you see in your generation. You know, maybe, and maybe when I say your generation, you go, my generation's great, it's the next generation. Whatever it is, the world that you live in, I think that Revelation speaks to that. And so, starting with that in mind, let's just pray that God would speak to our hearts, he would challenge our thinking in this new series, and that he would encourage us. Can we do that? Let's just take a moment to pray. God, as we open up your word, um, we recognize that we have all sorts of presuppositions, or we come to your word having no idea. And so my prayer is just that through the preaching of your word, not because of me, but because of you, God, you would just speak to our hearts. God, that you would, you would not just help us to think and have knowledge about Revelation, but you would allow this book to change our heart. God, I pray that you would challenge us to think about the world in which we live in and the evil in which we face and how it looks like this end time picture. So God, use this, this morning and throughout this series, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so back to page one. Uh, This is the new series. We're going to talk about the lion, the lamb, and the dragon. And I'm going to approach this more in a thematic sort of way. When you think of Revelation, it's just amazing. We all kind of have a a presupposition. Probably most of you that grew up in Baptist ways would relate more to this type of book, the history of the end of the world. I just thought that that was funny, the history of the end of the world. How can it be history and the end at the same time? But not everybody approaches Revelation that way. Here's another commentary, and it's just Revelation as history. And others, there are some who believe Revelation is all things to come, and there are some that say Revelation already took place specifically at the fall of Rome. Some people approach Revelation as some sort of mystic breaking the code. There's some sort of secret code and numbers in here that we got to figure out so that we can understand all these different things. But here's how we're going to, here's the book that I'm using to approach Revelation. Uh, Revelation for dummies. It seemed like a good, good, no, I'm, I'm not using this, I, I don't think I even have this book, but that's kind of the approach that we're coming at. So why do a series in Revelation? If it's hard, and if we're not maybe all going to see the chart or understand it, mean, why do that? Uh, one, one commentator wrote this, we have been lulled to sleep by the ordinariness of our lives. Our senses have been dulled by the humdrum of one day after another. We need to see God as he is. We need to be convinced that Jesus is reigning as the risen king. We need to have him speak to the situation in our churches. We need to know that God is right now on his throne, in control of heaven, worshipped by the myriads upon myriads of heavenly hosts. We need to see the way that God will pulverize weakness, obliterate those who oppose him, and set up his kingdom. The book of Revelation is exactly what we need. So that's what we're trying 
to accomplish here. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1. We're going to cover the first eight verses this morning. The revelation, let me just, you know, note here, it's not revelations. I'll probably say it in here somewhere. There's no S here. It's just personal pet peeve. Here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads out loud. Woohoo! The words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear, amen? And who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the king on earth, the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. We're going to look at today uh, some background of the apocalyptic prophecy of Jesus. We're going to look at the blessing of the apocalyptic prophecy of Jesus. And we're going to look at a beautiful doxology of the apocalyptic prophecy of Jesus. First, some background. Those of you who know me, I just, you know, I got I to gotta dig a little bit back when we, we talk about the background. What type of literature in the Bible, there's different types of genre. And the, and the way that we understand the genre, it's how we apply. And just in a simple way, right, we don't, we don't interpret narrative the same way that we interpret prophecy. You don't listen to rock and roll the same way you listen to classical music. And so we, we approach it by the type of genre that it is. And there's some confusion about Revelation. Uh, it is apocalyptic literature. Now, when I, if I were to say Janine and I went and saw a movie about the apocalypse, what would come to your mind? What would you think? You'd probably think that Janine and I went and saw a movie about the end of the world. Okay, that's not actually what the word means. It's what it's become to mean. We use it in that sense. Um, but the actual word means to uncover something that's concealed. Certainly could be talking about things that are not yet to come. But the word just means to uncover something that's been uh, concealed or hidden. In Galatians chapter 1, which we looked at Galatians a, a few months ago, 
Uh, Paul says in verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a apocalypse, through a revelation in the ESV. In other words, God revealed to me, Jesus revealed to me something that was hidden. Note here in verse 1, it is the apocalypse, okay, that's the word revelation, of, not end times, of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. Um, Apocalyptic literature was a type of literature in John's time. Uh, We see it in Daniel, we see it in Ezekiel, uh, first and second Enoch is a a non biblical, you know, uh, part of the canon, but we see it there as well. And one person said that this type of literature that uses symbols and visions that reveal a heavenly perspective on history in light of its final outcome. The purpose of apocalyptic literature is to sustain God's people, especially in times of trials. It's, it was written so that, that you could see who God is in the midst of difficult times. And they used these symbols. Now, the problem is, a lot of these symbols you and I are not that in tune with. Um, and I, one person likened it to a political cartoon. I'm probably going to get a little trouble for this. Here's a political cartoon. Okay? Now, you can just, just look at this political cartoon for a second. How many of you right away can recognize who the characters are in this political cartoon? Okay, right, all right, good. Okay, um, and uh, there's some symbols in this cartoon, specifically a, uh, a donkey and an elephant. How many of you recognize what those symbols are? Okay, now the, the name of the political cartoon is called Fractured America. Okay, and they're both blowing up the election results. Okay, a balloon, we, we recognize that. But think about this, what if we were looking at this political cartoon 200 years from now. Would it be as as easily identified? We don't know. Let me ask you this. What if we were looking at this political cartoon 200 years earlier? Okay? We wouldn't get any of it. Right? So in in some ways, Revelation kind of operates like that. And the symbols here, they come from the Old Testament, And there's arguments about this between scholars, but scholars say there's somewhere between 200 and 1,000 Old Testament allusions in the book of Revelation. Um, So that's, I mean, that's a lot. And then they also come from the world in which they lived in, in Greco-Roman world. And so there's all these, and we're not as familiar with them. So this is apocalyptic literature. But notice also in verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And so another way to describe this, this language is prophecy. And apocalyptic literature and prophetic literature is not quite the same. Um, and when we think of prophecy, we go, okay, here, Dave, now we're talking about the ends of the world. But think back to Zephaniah that we just did. Remember when Zephaniah, as a prophet, he's talking about things that, that happened in the past, right? Here's why we're in this situation. Here's what's happening currently, and here's what's going to happen. It's not all end times. 
And so prophetic literature itself is a discourse emanating from a divine inspiration and declaration, uh, declaring the purpose of God, where, where um, the person is reproving and admonishing the wicked, uh, comforting the afflicted, and revealing things hidden, right? Again, we have that idea. So again, John, John relies heavily on Old Testament. Okay, so it's apocalyptic, it's prophecy, it's also a letter. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. This is a letter, just like Paul writes letters to Ephesus and to Colossus. This is, this is a letter. And so we approach it that way. Some people want to argue that this is kind of more of a liturgical text. And they would say, look, this is all just kind of figurative language. And, and uh, you guys are getting crazy with past and present and future. Um, but, and you go, we don't, I don't approach um, Revelation this way. But it is interesting. There's six different hymns or pauses for praise in the book of Revelation. It's like it just describes all these things and all of a sudden breaks into worship. More commonly today, people refer to it as a theopolitical uh, form of literature. It's a critique of the Roman Empire and a manifesto against civil religion. Um, I, again, I don't lean that way, but there is a lot of political stuff in Revelation. We just have to identify that. Eugene Peterson wrote this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is more political than anyone imagines, but in a way that no one guesses. So why are we studying Revelation? What, what is it? Look, Revelation is primarily good news about Jesus Christ. It's good news about the Christ, the Lamb of God, who shares God's throne and who is the key to past, present, and future. And therefore, also about uncompromised faithfulness leading to undying hope even in the midst of unrelenting evil. I love that. Look, um, as we look into the churches here in a couple of weeks as we start, the one thing that we have to just recognize, and there's a ton of it in Revelation, is repeated phrases. And at the end of each of the letters, John says, in one way or another, to the one who conquers... Chapter 2, verse 7, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Do you want to eat of the tree of life? It's one who remains faithful. It's the one who conquers. Chapter 2, verse 11, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Chapter 2, verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. Chapter 2, um, verse 26, the one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nation. See, you can't negate, negate the part that where Revelation is trying to get us to remain faithful in the midst of different times, to, to keep going. And then when we get to heaven, that word conquers comes back up again. And so it's, it's, this, it's this pressing through difficult things. Uh, different ways of interpreting those are the genre, um, different ways of approaching Revelation. It's just another way of saying some of the things I just said. But the first is predictive, and that is to say that Revelation deals with future events. Now, here's my, here's my push for those of you who hold completely to that. Okay, a few things. First of all, John says it's soon to take place. And so those of us who says it hasn't happened in 2,000 years would say, well, soon just doesn't mean what you think it means. But notice also 
that the person who reads this and hears this is blessed. So to me, that can't be just I'm blessed because now I know what's going to happen at the end. I think I'm blessed because I have understanding of how to live in the world that I live in. And so it is predictive, but I just want us to be careful not to make it solely predictive. Now, there's another group of people that says it's past-focused. Those group of people are called preterist. Um, I won't say that one again. But it simply means that they would see all of Revelation being uh, fulfilled, I think, from the time of the, um, the destruction of the temple to really kind of the end of Rome type of period of time. Now, some people just want to get away from all the predictions altogether, and they would just say it's poetic. Figurative language to express truth about God, evil, and history. And it is that. We can't step away from that. Revelation is poetic in that sense. Apocalyptic literature, prophecy. We talked about this in Zephaniah. The, the prophets often used very poetic language to explain this. And, uh, and those who would say it's more theopolitical and things like that are saying that it's more pastoral in the sense that it's designed to call the church the faithfulness in face of evil. And as we already saw, it is that. So as a pastor, I can stand before you confidently and say this applies to us. So um, I, I'm just not, I just don't, I, I'm not going to go down just one road here. I'm going to kind of do multiple roads. So I said I wouldn't give you any charts. I'm going to give you two today. That's it. These are the only ones you get. Um, if we look at the ways that we interpret Revelation more on an X and Y axis, the different interpretations fall into four different groups. Those who would say, look, this is past-focused. Then, of course, those, right? What's the opposite of that, right? That is future-focused. Now, on the other axis, we, we see that there's people that would say, hey, this is, this is literal. Like, Revelation is all literal. And then there are others that say, no, it's just all figurative language. And really, all the different interpretations fall within these grids. Those of you who grew up in Baptist churches, we are typically future literal, okay? Wouldn't go all the way down, okay? Those of you who grew up more in uh, Presbyterian churches, Okay, you're going to be more past figurative. Okay, so I'm just saying that we fall somewhere on there. Um, here's something that I've just been really wrestling with in my study, and I started about three, four months ago on this, just reading books on Revelations, just devouring things, trying to get ready. Um, if, here's, my, here's my chart that you guys want. In the past, these things happened. And throughout history, they continue to happen. And they are happening currently. And they will continue to happen. And they will finally end in these same patterns. Revelation is all about evil and God's kingdom that is, that is fighting. And, you know, it's really, it's amazing. You can read books, right, going way back. And, and pastors will stand up and say, Hitler was the Antichrist. And they, and, they will, and they will show you from Scripture why he filled all the bills for the Antichrist. In fact, I had a book in the 90s that came across to be really uh, popular, and it popularized the, the pre-wrath view 
of, of those of you who are, are, have your charts. Anyway, this book, I can't remember the name of it. I actually got rid of it. I probably should have kept it. It had a really nice chart. You guys would have liked it. It was colored and everything. And he identified the Antichrist. This was in the 90s. He identified the Antichrist as, wait for it, Hitler. Either some sort of reincarnation of him. I mean, I'm like, what in the world? The guy's dead. But that's how, that's how much he's like, this, this guy just fits all the bill. Now, you know, people have done it for every president. Okay? Republican or Democrat. I saw one that did it for Trump. He did a really good job. He, he matched all the verses. Look, why? Because those in political power and those who are in oppression see things differently. And so there's this battle going on. One author I came across, and he was talking about some of those from, you know, I, most of the people I read are, are white Westerners, because I am one. And I, you know, he said, you know, it's really kind of interesting when you read uh, theologians from South America. He said, do you know who they identify the beast as? America. You go, oh, no, 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 no. Who do we identify the beast as? Europe. See, these things should tell us something about the world in which we live in. So I think these things are happening, and they are finally going to happen. Um, so what is uh, this revelation, and how did we get it? Um, probably more than any other passage, uh, John tells us the process of this revelation. He says in the first few verses, first of all, it's an apocalypse about Jesus Christ, which God, right, Gave to him. To who? To Jesus. So this apocalypse came from God to Jesus to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel. So then Jesus gave it to his angel, and his angel gave it to John. And what happens now? John has given it to us. I don't think I've ever seen a more precise explanation of where we're getting it from. So there's no doubt. Where, and here's the point. Where does this originate from? From God. Okay? Unless, unless you don't want to take it seriously. When you uh, look at the first few chapters, I mean, one of the thing, or first few verses, one of the things that stands out to me is repeating phrases. Um, and so if you look at verse 2, uh, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. That phrase, or parts of that phrase, word of God, testimony of Jesus Christ, um, repeat almost like 10 times in the book of Revelation. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, we have the whole one in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, and then 6, 9, 12, 17, 17, 7, 19, 9, 19, 10, twice, 19, 13, and 24. So, look, when, when, when the Bible repeats itself, listen. And so he is saying... That, that his servant John, what? Who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we're focusing on that as we go through Revelation. Then he says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear. Um, there's seven blessings. 
and the book of Revelation. Now, I don't, I'm not going to go down the secret code path, but I will say this. John uses the number seven quite a bit in the, the uh, groupings of seven, seven times this. And so um, seven, I think at times, is probably literal. I think there was probably seven churches. But there are times that seven is figurative in the book of Revelation. And when it's figurative, seven is just the perfect number. Okay, it, it reveals perfection, completeness. Um, and so um, why is six? Six, six, a bad number. It's the opposite of that idea of perfection. It falls short. Okay, so um, we have seven blessings. Um, uh, bless are those who hear, uh, who read and hear, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, chapter 14, verse 13. Blessed is the one who stays awake through the entire sermon. No, blessed is the one right, who stays awake. And this idea of stays awake, it's repeated uh, throughout the Gospels. It's the idea of one who continues on, stays busy, stays in ministry, pressing on, conquers in the midst of difficulty. They're ready for Christ's return. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper. Amen. Blessed are the one who shares in the first resurrection. Chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed are the ones who keep the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those, chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, have the right to the tree of life, and enter the city. Seven blessings. And, um, you know, I, I don't mean this flippantly. But as a follower of Jesus, I want to experience all the blessings that God has for me. And so if there is some, some blessings in Revelations or even some completeness of these blessings, I want to make sure that I walk in them and receive them. And I hope that as we go through this series, that will be something that you're looking for. I believe the focus of Revelation is to encourage the church to persevere and live exemplary lives in the midst of evil. That's the idea of conquer, 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 continue, be faithful, partner with me. And it's to remind the church of future reward and blessings for those who conquer, right? If, if I stay through, then I'm going to be blessed. But don't miss this. And, and I'm saying I'm, I'm 52 been a pastor for 30 years in one degree or another, a preaching pastor for over 20 years, and I don't know that I've focused enough on the fact that revelation is to lead us to worship. It's to lead us to worship the lion and the lamb. And uh, what is amazing to me as I have done, begin this study, is how clearly the gospel is portrayed in Revelation. And some of you go, I don't know. Well, I'm going, to show, I'm going to show you the first one this week, and I'm going to show you another one next week. And it just keeps going. So here's the call, and I hope that you are ready to heed this. Blessed is the person who, who reads it. Um, you know, I, I'm just willing to take God's word for what it says, and so I think there's going to be some sort of blessing and the fact that we're reading God's word out loud here in church over the next several weeks as we read through Revelation, I believe that it's a blessing when you read it, even though you don't understand all of it. Uh, it's just a blessing to be wrestling with God's word. It's just true. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, one time we had, we had a, 
uh, used to be called uh, Winter Youth Celebration or something like this. It was a big uh, CB thing. It was at the hotels over there in Jansen Beach. And we'd bring our kids to big thing. And we, one year we had a, a series on end times. Uh, I, think, uh, I think Josh McDowell taught it. Uh, anyway, um, they invited this guy. I wish I could. I remember the whole thing. And uh, he had major parts of scripture uh, memorized. And he stood up there in a room full of high school students and quoted word for word the entire book of Revelation. And, uh, and so he took these like, man, if this is a blessing, I'm going to do it, right? And I thought, man, this is going to last about 10, 15 minutes for my high school students. We were glued. We were glued. It was amazing. I heard it do it twice, once at this and then once uh, because he was in the area, Western had him come and do it again. Uh, just amazing. Um, and so there's just something about hearing, uh, a reading, and then hearing uh, the words of this prophecy, of this, uh, these letters, of this apocalypse. And so it's blessed are those who read and blessed are those who hear, but don't stop there because we're encouraged to what? To keep. So there's something here that we're supposed to take and live out. And blessed are you when you do it. And so that is the challenge as we go through there. And I, and I would just bring this up. You know, I mean, if, if Revelation is just all future, then, then why are we blessed in keeping it, right? What, what, what is that, how does that help us? And if it's really just at the end, um, how do we, or it's something in the past, like how do we really place ourselves in the pages of this difficult book? And, and I would note to you, look down at verse 9, John saw himself in the pages of this prophecy. I, John, your brother, and what? Partner in the tribulation. So well, I thought the tribulation was to come. Well, I believe there is a tribulation to come, but I also think John and the churches were living through a tribulation. And that word partner, by the way, just so you know, um, it's also where we get our word fellowship. So when you think of fellowship and you think of donuts, think of John, because he wasn't having any donuts. I don't want to get into all of it, but um, there's some controversy about which John wrote the book of Revelation. Most of us would say that it's, it was John the Apostle, and I think that this, we see some of his writing in here, uh, similar to some of his other writings. Um, I think, and that's historically who, it doesn't say, he doesn't say John the Apostle here, and so it's caused some question. It could have been John the Elder, an elder of these churches at this time. Um, and, but John didn't often refer to himself as apostle anyway. He liked to see himself as one of the group and not as somebody who is better than everybody else or be perceived that way. Um, but if it was John the apostle, and I think it probably was, um, he, is, uh, he is, it says um, in verse 9, uh, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, who is in the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. There's that phrase repeated. And so uh, what we believe is that John was uh, exiled because of his faith. So he was, he was kind of imprisoned uh, in this sense. And some history uh, has him as having been burned at the stake and it failed to kill him. And then he was exiled to Patmos. So, you know, 
be careful what you say about God, give me blessings. Uh, John is right, literally in the fire here of the tribulation. And so I I think that we're supposed to see ourselves in the pages of this this book. Uh, Let's look at this. We we looked at uh, uh, just kind of the background of this uh, apocalypse. Uh, We looked at here the the, uh, blessings uh, of this uh, apocalypse. And now I just want to look at this beautiful kind of doxology that that, uh, John has here in the last few verses. Let me just read it again. It's only four verses. So pick it up in Revelation uh, verse one, chapter 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. To him who loves us and has been, who has freed us from our sins and by, by his blood made us kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming. There's just this beautiful uh, piece of literature here. And, and the audience is obviously the seven churches. Now, we've got our first big interpretive problem here uh, in verse 4. Grace and peace to you, okay, from... Him who is, and who was, and who is to come. Who do you think that is? I, uh, it was fun because I did this in class the other day. Uh, we're getting to the end of New Testament class, and so I actually preached this twice uh, already. And, um, and so one of my students raises his hand. He goes, I'm going to say Jesus. But notice verse 8, I am the Alpha, or excuse me, uh, I am the Alpha Omega, says the Lord, who, what? The Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come. So this is God here. God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Who are they? Uh, let's skip that one. And then it says, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So we have God. And we have Jesus. In between here, we have seven spirits. Some commentators would say, and I lean this direction heavily, that this is just the Holy Spirit. We have the perfect spirit here mentioned. And I just say that because it's very, it makes the whole verse Trinitarian. Um, and so we have, a, I believe, a Trinitarian introduction. And then we have this beautiful description of the works of Christ. Um, second part of, of verse Five there in the, in the next paragraph. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. So, um, first of all, he loves us. Um, I want to just pause here just for a second. Um, I know that you've heard, if you've been around the church, that Jesus loves you. And I know that, uh, you know, the preacher is obviously supposed to say Jesus loves you. But it it is so clear right here. It's so obviously stated. To him who loves us. To him who loves us. And for some of you, it's just hard to receive the reality that Jesus loves you. 
So I just want you to hear that today. You are loved by Jesus regardless of your circumstances. You are loved by him regardless of your economics. You are loved by him regardless of your past. You are loved by him regardless of all the stuff that goes off in your brain occasionally, right? He loves us. And he loves us so much that he freed us. Freed us from what? From our sins. There's so many people today that just want to make the Bible not about sins and not about atonement. We talked about that in Good Friday and Easter. And and here it is at the end. He freed us from our sins. How did he do it? By his blood. By the shedding of his blood. I mean, there can't be a more beautiful expression of his love. But notice again, it's just not this. He didn't save you so you could sit in a pew. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the blood and made us. So he loves us. He freed us. He made us. He made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. Here's one of our our many Old Testament allusions here. John is thinking of Exodus chapter 19, where God says to Israel, I will make you a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a light to the nation. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. And I would say John is even going back a little bit further, all the way to Genesis chapter 3. Excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, even further. Where he places Adam and Eve in the garden And he says to to keep it and to work it. Oh, man, gardening. No, those those phrases are repeated in Exodus when it talks about the priests, that they are to work and keep the temple. Right from the beginning, God's creation, God's people were made to be a priesthood. My job as a pastor is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's it's for you to participate in. It's not for you to manage the pastors and say, I would like you to do a little more ministry. I wish you would do this. I wish you would do this. I wish you would. No, it's for you to do it. And I, and I, I know I'm preaching the choir. You go, we know that, pastor. But we really would like you to do this. You are a priest. You are a pastor. You are a minister. You are to work and keep the kingdom of God. Because Jesus loves you and he died for you. And then we have a promise in verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. And if you've been in the church for a while, and you've prayed, your kingdom come, you're going, oh, amen, this is beautiful. Here it is, I can't wait. I can even remember as a grade school kid, I mean, there was, we were really into the end time stuff. It was really big back then. You know, you guys remember it. I mean, it used to be, those of you who grew up in the church, you know this, during the 70s and 80s, we didn't, we didn't preach the gospel saying, you know, receive Christ because you'll go to hell. No, 
the gospel was preached, you better receive Christ so you're not left behind at the rapture. The tribulation is coming, which apparently is worse than hell. No, I, we were so into that. I remember seeing as a kid, it's like, man, what if Jesus came today? I didn't have to take my math test. Never worked out for me. Right? We, were just, we were just waiting. I remember having dreams about it as a kid. I remember dreaming, thinking I was being raptured. You go, I told that to my wife the other day. She goes, you did what? What? I'm like, she didn't grow up in the church. I'm like, did anybody else have those dreams? I don't know. I had a bunch of them. Jesus, it sounds great. Now, every eye will see him. This is past and present because even those who pierced him is going to see this return. And all the tribes will say, hallelujah. That's not what it says. All the tribes of the earth will what? Wail. When the holiness of God comes down in person, when righteousness comes into this world, People say, oh no. Oh no. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. My hope is that as we read these words, you would allow God's word to speak to your heart. If you're listening today, either here or online, I just want to remind you that Jesus loves you and he died for you. That the judgments that are going to be listed in Revelation, and they are severe, need not scare you if you are ready to place your faith in Jesus Christ. To receive his sacrificial work on the cross. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, is King, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And I would invite you to enter into the kingdom of God before we get into the scary stuff. Allow God's word to challenge the world that you live in. One of the challenges, and I, I, I'm wrapping up, it's hard and revelation, I just want to keep going, but in these times, you had these churches, and if you, you were a good Gentile Christian man or woman, and let's say you had a tent-making business, and you wanted to go to the market to buy food for your family, when you got to the local market in your town, there would be an altar to the God of that city. And in order for you to go into the marketplace, you would have to pay a tribute or give a sacrifice before you went in and bought food. So a debate arose in the churches. Or if you wanted to sell your tents in that marketplace, same thing. So a debate arose in these churches. Do we give money to these idols or not? And some Christians are like, man, man's got to eat, right? We know, they're, we know they're not real. What are we going to do? It's just the world we live in. And other Christians, presumably John, said, I won't play that game. I won't make those sacrifices. 
And so we have to think about the world that we live in, the economics that we spend, where we spend our dollars. Do they go to evil? Most of us don't want to trace it down. Allow God's word to challenge the world that you live in. You say, I I like to live in ignorance. You know what? I love myself a good Hershey candy bar, but then my oldest daughter had to tell me where they came from. Now I'm buying stinking fair trade chocolate. Ten times the amount I was paying before. Allow God's word to encourage you in the midst of the generation that we live in. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for this new study and the challenges that uh, it brings to our mind. We thank you for your love for us. Uh, We thank you that you freed us. Um, And God, we thank you that you give us purpose. And God, I I just pray that we would lean into that a little bit. We want to be comfortable. We want to sing the songs that we like to sing. We want to be reminded of the things that we already know. But God, you've called us to so much more. You've called us to be your hands and feet, to be light, to salt. You've called us to be ministers. God, that's difficult, especially in a world that is growing increasingly not fond of you or your laws. And so, God, we pray that you'd give us courage. Not to just take a stand in the political realm, but to stand up and to be followers of Jesus Christ daily, even when it's not popular. We pray that you would help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.